Good morning, everyone. Not even morning. Welcome back to Over the Bridge podcast, um, the podcast where we just basically share our stories and our journeys. Um, we really want to thank you for carrying on listening so far. And um, this week, we're really excited because once again, we're joined by a brilliant guest who's going to introduce themselves in the moment. But before we do that, just, hey, who's on the call today? Yo, what's going on, Kweku, on the call today? Nice. Oh, man, I'm tired. Sorry, I'll just wrap <laughs> up a little bit ago. But um, <laughs> yeah, good. Looking forward to, to yeah, listening to, um, well, to having a chat with you guys again today. Quaker, you've been up for like, what, 20 minutes? <laughs> yeah, literally like 20 minutes. I think you can you could probably hear it in my voice, but yeah, I've been up for like 20 minutes. I had to grab a quick tea, a quick like, a quick uh, ginger and honey tea just to, you know, perk me up a little bit. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, mad story. Nah, <laughs> I told you guys already, but yeah, mad story. <laughs> to be honest, I'm drinking my second coffee because I'm so tired, man. Bro, I don't, I don't even know what I did yesterday, but I'm I'm tired as well. I can't lie. I went but, Kew um, Gardens. It's actually really nice there, you know. Yeah, I've been there. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Did you go to Richmond Richmond Park as well? Nah, nah, because I didn't even get halfway around Kew. It's massive. Yeah, it's yeah, it's big, it's big. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all around there is really nice. It's just I've only ever been there like once in my whole life, I think, because it's just it's literally the other side of London for me. Oh, yeah, I went. In, I went in like primary school on a school trip, but I've never been since. And you know they do those Christmas like the Chris uh, Christmas mm, lights with the lights. Yeah, yeah, do the lights and everything. Yeah, and they sell out, bro. They sell out like second a year before. Like mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So people pre-order everything. So I've never been able to go like as an adult, but yeah, I've yeah. heard it's it's lovely. Yeah, it's I'm nice. l- I'm lucky because it's all on my doorstep now. I'm in West, so it's proper around the corner from me. Which is nice. Oh yeah, I guess yeah, it's not that far from yeah, from where you are. Cool man. Yeah, hello everyone. Patrick. Um I'm here week I don't know twenty of lockdown and isolation and <laughs> reality is falling apart. Is everything cake? I don't know. Who knows? I don't know if you lot have seen <laughs> that, that 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 meme on Twitter where like all these stupid like realistic Cakes, yeah. Objects that are made into like, yeah, cakes that are made to look like, like hyper real objects. Yeah, so I don't even people know how like, people do that. Like, bro, it's jarring because you'll just see like a shoe, and then someone will cut into it and be like, "Yeah, eat this," and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's nothing appetizing about that. Like, what the hell? I even saw one that was like, it looks so real, it was like someone's arm and hand with tattoos, and they just cut through it, like. And it was a skate. Yeah, people were saying like you get trust issues from that, isn't it? <laughs> cool. Anyway, I'd love to introduce our guest. Who's going to introduce himself, if you don't mind? In just a yeah. few words, tell us who you are, what you do, and then we'll get into a chat. Yeah. Um, okay, so my name's Nathan Bryan. Um, I'm, a, I'm a writer, author, actor. Um, and I'm just trying to tell good stories that reflect myself and the community i believe deserve to be seen so yeah um, amazing man well thank you thank you so much for joining us today um Thanks, yeah man. so for, no it's cool so for our listeners i actually met nathan like a while ago we we're just trying to figure out before this even when that was and um i was just blown away by the way that he's been going about 
telling his stories and why he found certain stories important. Um, so I wanted to kick off, Nathan, and just really ask you, like, what is your motivation behind the stories that you tell? Yeah, man. I mean, I think I first got into this industry as like a, a young actor and my whole thing was just to make people laugh. That was like, not, I wasn't even trying to be a comedian, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, because that's a whole nother set of skills. But like, I just wanted to make people laugh in whatever way possible. Um, and I think like just carrying on with that has always been like a motive to everything I do. Like, even if I, my web series reality, like at times it can be intense, but you're always going to laugh at the darkest time as well or whatever. So yeah, basically everything I do, I always kind of, even if I'm writing drama, I always try and find, you know, some humor in it. Do you know what I mean? Cause I think like life is deep. And, <laughs> and I think <laughs> if you're not laughing like every day, then what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I totally hear that, man. And I think even at, at times like this, people need to laugh, you know? Trust, yes. So Nathan, do you want to tell us a little bit about, I guess some of the your favourite stories that you've been involved mm. in, in telling? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like for a long time, you know, I was mainly acting, not really telling stories. Well, I was telling stories just in a different way. Mm. But I mean, at the moment, like my main focus is on like creation and coming up with stories uh, from my head. Um, and my favourite, my ones, some of the ones I'm most proud of, like, for example, my book, Look Up, that came out last year. Um, and that's kind of just a, a a story about a young black girl who's obsessed with space, who wants her older brother to look up from his mobile phone to see a meteor shower uh, coming across <laughs> the sky. Um, and that, that story was like, it's something that literally came into my head, like, when I was walking around Hyde Park with my girlfriend and then I pitched it to an animation company. They said no. And then luckily my agent was like, well, that would be a really good kids book. And I was like, well, I don't write kids book. Mm. And then um, I got a tax bill through and I was like, boy, let me learn how to write a kids book. <laughs> <laughs> I need to pay this shit. Um, oh, wow. and, um, yeah. And do you know what? Like I did learn luckily enough. And that story um, I didn't really even know the importance that it was potentially mm. going to have. Because, um, you know what I mean? I, like, as a 29-year-old now, I don't, I, before getting into the kids' book industry, I didn't really, you know, read kids' books. But now I do, and, you know, reading them to kids all around England and the world, you realise, like, representation is, like, so important in kids' books. Like, how often mm. have you seen black characters in kids' books being black, but not even having to talk about being black, like just having a yeah. story, having a journey. Um, so that one really, at the moment, like, and we're doing a series of those books with um, Penguin and the second one's out Amazing. on the 23rd of July. So yeah, I'm really proud of that one. That's wicked, man. I love that sort of, I didn't even try and be a kid's book author. It kind of just yeah. happened. Like it was yeah, that kind of creativity by necessity. That's hilarious, man. Yeah, it was That's necessity. Like bills to pay. <laughs> Trust me, it was absolutely necessity. Because I remember when they, my agent was like, it'll be a kid's book. And I was like, why are you telling me this information? Like, I don't do that. It's like, it's like telling like a, a chef, you could be a good boxer. You'll be like, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that. You know, so, so it was really nice. It was really nice that it worked out. That's it, man. You said something uh, interesting about I guess just generally around representation and how mm. there's rarely any 
books and kid books in particular where the character is black and there's not a mention of the fact they're black and I found that really interesting because it's so true and I think it's the same you know in TV and movies as well a lot of the time but the last person I can think of that was able to create that type of content was Mallory Blackman oh yeah um and she was so sick with it because you know a lot of times you'd be reading her stories and I mean it was kind of racially ambiguous in my mind anyway but like then knowing that well I think from knowing her through Twitter Mm. and knowing that she's really about it um it makes it interesting to look back and say okay wow these were you know black people and I remember like uh was it pick heart boy or something like that oh yeah yeah that was banging and again it's like there's no reference to the fact you know he's a black guy he just happens to be a black kid and Mm. you know it's something that anyone can relate to so yeah man that's 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 it It's, it's good that you're kind of going within that that same vein i was wondering if she was she inspiration in, in any yeah, kind of way absolutely that? like pick up boy was a huge one for me noughts and crosses was the first play that i ever acted in so then reading that was like whoa but even like reading it when i read it i didn't even really deep how how intense like mallory had built that world and like yeah and how mm. important it is and actually when we you know i'm brand new to this kids book industry so when i came in Mallory was literally one of the first people in the industry to like, she put a quote on our book being like, this book's banging. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Wow. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> it's lit. Hashtag go buy that. No, she didn't say that. <laughs> she did. But she said some really nice words that were, you know, like she didn't need to do that. And, yeah. you know, we met her a few times and she's just, I mean, like she's a genius and incredible and, yeah, so yeah, long story short, I was completely inspired by people like her. Um, but also, I just want to say, like, just to make it clear that even if you're writing kids' books with black characters and they are, it's about being black, that's just as amazing mm. and as important. I'm, I might do that one day, I might not, but I just meant with what I was trying to do, I just wanted, like, you see white kids in kids' books just getting to do whatever the hell they want and not talking mm. about certain things, and I just wanted to do something similar. I think that's amazing. Like one, I actually bought your book when it came out and I bought it for um, like my girlfriend's little cousin because he was like two or three, I don't even know. Um, And I really, and I thought it was important for kids who were not black to also see mm. black kids being black kids, but just being kids in a book. Because mm. whenever, I think for the most part, as far as I've seen, whenever we have these stories with black centered characters, it's seen as oh that's a book for black people when actually yeah. it's not it's just a book about a kid doing kid stuff listen i've heard yeah. people say oh it's a black book and i'm like what on earth are you talking about like what the fuck is that like what do you mean yeah. like it's a book with a black character it's literally for everybody like don't be weird but you know like you know i won't get too much into it but it like you know, if you go into certain countries in Europe, trying to sell your book to certain countries, you know, a lot of, they're not telling you it's, a, it's because it's a black book, but I, hey, hey, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess a lot other than children's books, right? Because that's what you said, sort of fell into. There were stories that you were trying to tell on screen. Um, yeah yeah and I do 
I do lots of that in loads of different ways. Like I make short films, um, which are just, I made a short film with a director called Teresa Varga, who um, it's about an intergalactic fried chicken shop that delivers food instantly. <laughs> so we just, we did that. That was a short film. I just on my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that was one of our short films. And then we done one really recently called Tiresome, which was like, it's a spoof of the first time I met her her family up north but uh, so do you know what I mean and so I, I make like really irreverent stories that are about nothing and everything and then like reality mm. was kind of when I made it about I don't know maybe three four years ago uh maybe maybe longer I don't know but it was a it was just completely out of frustration like it was out Ooh. of like absolute rage because reality is a story about being young black and British mm. um, an anthology web series where every episode characters just it's just having real frank conversations like what you guys are having um and a lot of the conversations that i wrote were exaggerations of the conversations me and my my, my homies were having so um it was a it was more for me to be like i feel like we're having all these conversations a bit like why i imagine you guys have a podcast and i want people to hear the conversations we're having um so i just at the time, I was on a TV show called Benidorm, and they were paying me loads of money. And I just took that money, a lot of that money I had, and made two series of web series with it. That's amazing, man. Mm. And um, I want to I wanna talk about some of those motivations. So the motivation, one, being like, this is from frustration. Oh, my um, age, yeah. Like, yeah, what, what was the first, like, where did the frustration come from? I think the frustration came from years of, like, people being racist to me and me my nature is very like apologetic self-deprecating very it has been to this point um of just like oh like always trying to give the racist the benefit of the doubt like my parents obviously are amazing but they're very like you know just like you, things are going well for you don't worry about it like just mm. don't don't react oh, just yeah. just you know don't take it yeah. yeah don't rock the boat it was like lots and lots of that and like obviously that comes from my parents trying to protect me they're like you know if he tries to rock the boat he's, he could go and get his ass stabbed or killed or beaten up or whatever but I think what you also forget is if you tell your kids not to rock the boat and at this time like I'm talking like just so like I feel like those two years there was so much racism, like to a point of like, I'm not talking like the subvert, like the, the shit of like microaggressions. There was those, those were like every day. But basically at the time, like I was living in Spain filming for like six months of the year. And it wasn't, you know, wasn't so much the, the Spanish nationals living there. Benidorm is like a, like, a, like you know I mean? it's mini. Yeah. It's a mini England. Do you know what I mean, mm. And like ninety percent of the people there are, are amazing, lovely human beings. But some of the interactions I was having sometimes on the daily were wild. Like I was being called the the N word. I was getting people asking me if I painted myself black. I was Whoa. like loads. Oh. Like just, and this is I, from this is from British people. Yeah, 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 yeah. But not and not what... e not even in like they're not even coming up to me in like some aggressive manner, yo. Like they're coming up to me like. Like it's not like it's normal. Like they do this shit to, you know, whoever. And it was just the whole, the whole, that whole couple of years for me was 
amazing because obviously I'm filming the show, whatever. But there was a lot of pain and me trying to understand it, and yeah. and then me going to like you know TV events or whatever, whatever, having some wild experiences there with people who are just just what like wild shit basically and anyway yeah. long story short i was just so raged that's all i can explain it as it was like mm. i was vexed and i had money <laughs> so all i was like was like let me just write and if you look at reality it's just me vexing every episode yeah. about some <laughs> shit that's vexed me and then yeah, filming yeah. it and having really talented acting brethren to bring it to life but it's just a it comes out of rage and that's actually why i didn't make a third series because i'd calm down a bit <laughs> i you think i just purged like, all your demons do you know what i'm saying like and actually weirdly now i've got loads more demons because i'm like you know the world's fucking insane right now um, yeah yeah that, that time was insane insane mm. but i do say good art comes out of pain don't they Absolutely, but it's like man. it's just a, such a shame that like that's the case, you know? Yeah, and also, good art does... <laughs> it comes from... Well, it comes from loads of places, but, but yeah. pain is a very good motivator. But, like, I think it's mm. a really interesting thing of, like, you know, imagine if you're a white creator and your art doesn't have to come out of pain. Like, think of how yeah. open all your... You know, it's a different thing. And, like, mm. it, you know, I don't always want to tell stories out of pain. That's why my yeah. kids' book was... Great, it was out of pain. It was out of me. Yeah, that's like, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like it must be a refreshing thing to like to write a story about a black person, mm. a black protagonist, and it isn't about trauma or pain. It's just, and it's not. And I can understand why it's like you, you want it to not be about their blackness per se, but them just being a living, breathing, breathing human being that yeah. has a story that's equally as important, regardless of whether it's about their pain or their blackness or not yeah. it's just them being them yeah and I, and I think you know what like we say um yeah like kids tv in england because i write lots of other kids tv i wrote i've written on shows like rasta mouse and like giggle biz and like apple tree house and yo like the, the the producers i've been working with on those shows get it they get it like when i tell you like they want to be pushing positive stories they want to be and they are like when I was writing on those shows, I was writing stories about single parent families, but in like a really beautiful, fun way. Like, mm. and yeah, so I guess like what I'm trying to say, what, what am I even trying to say? I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know. I actually had a, sorry, I don't know, Bill, are we trying uh, to go, go, go ahead, man. Yeah. Uh, sweet. So, um, yeah, so I was watching all of the episodes just this morning, bro. Like, um, yeah, proper fan of it. So well done on Thank that work. So I saw that it was done in um in twenty seventeen, right? So yeah, um, the first series we done in I think twenty seventeen, and then we did another one. Okay, when was the second one, by the way? I don't even. Honestly, what year are we in? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, time is just a construct, bro. Yeah, you get me? Right Maybe a year later. I don't know. Okay, okay. I was gonna say, um, you know, obviously you tackle quite quite um you know important topics and stuff that's very kind of personal to you and i think personal to black people in general i was wondering you know when you were making it did you have in mind like who your audience was i mean i know you said that it was kind of like from frustration and venting but Mm. did you feel like okay in some way it might be educational to a non-black audience to for them to understand what our frustrations are 
in existing in this in this country as as black and mixed race people etc or was it more like just you know just like an outlet for you and maybe something that other black and mixed race people can see and be like oh yeah like I I understand it's good to see my experiences Mm. is being shown do you get me yeah good question how was it for you um uh I'll be honest like I when I say really it wasn't this reality was created firstly from I made a short film before reality which was called oscar so white it was a year the oscars for the third year running had no black nominees and i was just sat there and i wrote this like raged raged out scripts and we shot it and then um we screened it at soul films which is an incredible um black film night at the bfi um and it's free and there's flipping free drinks and food afterwards like honestly yo if you're a filmmaker soul films go check that um anyway so we um we screened it there and obviously like i made it for no money like luckily i know a lot of people in this like making films thing so it was like everyone helped me out everyone got maybe some curry goat from the shop whatever (laughs) um and anyway we made the film screened at soul films and everyone's reaction afterwards was like this is so important. Like we need to be having more conversations like this. Um, and then um, a director came up to me afterwards called Grant Taylor. And he was like, yo, this is so important. I want to help you do this. And basically I wrote five more him and his mate, Max Ross. Um, she and Grant, basically I had no money at this time. Uh, helped me pay for the first series. So the first series, I really had no I didn't really care who was going to see it, what was going to be said. It was like a purge. And then it just so... And then, obviously, I think... Oh, yeah, basically, I had this dream where I'd screened lots of films at the BFI since I was young in, like, smaller cinemas. And my favourite word's audacious. And I was like, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the BFI to give me their biggest cinema. It's a 450-seater buff cinema. It's like... It's just... my. It's like one of my favourite cinemas I've ever been in. And the guy was like, yeah, sure. Um, the guy, Noel Goodwin, who's incredible as well. Um, he was like, yeah, sure. So we screened the first series that was made on all of five, six hundred pounds um, to a 450 seat cinema. Um, and loads of varied people came. So, yeah, basically, long story short to that, I didn't make it. I made it for whoever was going to take it. And obviously all my black friends and me, I knew that we were going to feel, you know, some form of... The conversations we were having were coming to a small screen, do you know what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then obviously, I, to... I want white people to watch it and learn some shit. Like, don't get me wrong. But I never intended... <laughs> it wasn't like... I wasn't like trying to talk to them. I was like, if you're going to yeah, be there yeah. and watch it, great. But I'm not going to be like, hey, white person, watch this because you need to know. I'm not, I'm not on that. Yeah. It's funny, like, we're kind of the same with the podcast. Mm. And that, like, we just came together saying, cool, like, let's, we just want to talk about experiences. We didn't have in our mind, okay, cool, it has to be an educational piece or mm. whatever the case was. It just so happened that, like, I think a lot of people gravitated towards it. And like Bilal was saying early, like, the yummy mummies, <laughs> for whatever reason, I guess, found, got a lot, get a lot of value from the conversations we have. And it's like, B, do you remember, like, on Twitter, someone tweeted, oh, I've learned more from this episode than my whole criminology degree. I was like, yeah. oh. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible through me man but i wanted to ask on that similar sort of line um when 
I guess when you hear from people who have watched your stuff or read your stuff, is it, do you get a different response from, from white people and black people in regards to, I've heard um, that some people will might even listen to our podcast or listen to other forms of art and media out there and go, thank you, because I feel like my experience is now validated mm. in the sense of this is like a reflection of what I already know on screen or whatever mm. and then I hear other people go whoa that opened my eyes to something I'd never thought about before yeah yeah like, I mean I mean definitely like with luckily a lot of the stuff I've created will get that response from both like mm. you know in the book the book was really amazing actually going around to schools so obviously kids ain't gonna be sending me emails and twi- tweets <laughs> but you see when you pull up in the school and me and Dapo the illustrator um who designed this character so beautifully um when we pull up at the schools we usually go in like a massive astronaut outfit and they see like two black men dressed as astronauts so already they're like what the what is going on then they see the book cover and they're like so you know it's a black girl who's got a black brother with a high top with a hoodie on staring at his phone they're like whoa this is this is literally our life this is Mm. what we see so you see physically in the faces there and then with stuff like reality and I wrote a play called Mixed Brain where it was about kind of being young, black and British again. And I took that to Edinburgh for a short run. Yeah, people come up to you afterwards and they will tell you um, either, you know, you, you've, you've helped them feel seen. But then white people as well being like, I never thought of that. Like, this is mm. really cool. And I appreciate both. And, you know, like again with reality i also wanted to do things i think um which like in the second series <laughs> there was an episode about um guys getting their butts tickled or like played with. <laughs> and i was like i want an episode where there's like a, re- a reverent chat about like black men talking about you know sex do you know what i mean mm. like silly and it's not all just like it's just a, a reverent you know banter yeah, so it's not mm. I don't always want to talk about like do you know what I mean like I'm you know what it's like lads like it's tiring isn't it do you know what I mean to always be like yeah oppression oppression yeah. this is shit this is shit fuck all you like sometimes like it's great to I want to show like all the conversations that we have mm-hmm. and 90% of my mm. conversations with my black friends aren't aren't about that you know Absolutely. I wanted, and on that, because one of the first things you said is uh, like the importance of comedy for you, right? Oh, and yeah. being able to like laugh. Um, what is like, what is the importance of comedy in telling these kind of stories? Like, what is the role of comedy? Well, I think it's, I mean, I've learned a lot this year about myself anyway. And my, and the reason I, I actually chose to um, tell, talk, talk about, to, to use comedy as a tool, I think, it was always um, a defense mechanism. You can say 90% of the things in this world as long as you end it with a joke. Uh, <laughs> and so I used it. You can, do you know what I mean? You can say anything as long as you end it with a joke. So I was using it as like, like they say like comedians generally uh, get really funny because they got their ass bullied. And the mm. best way to stop a bully from beating you up is making them laugh. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, how I got into telling, you know, trying to write, tell funny stories and that it it started there by trying to not get my ass beat but now as an adult I guess it's a really good way to if you can hit someone with a hard message and they hear it 
And there's two ways it can go after you've hit them with a hard message. A, they go, I'm being preached to. I don't like people preaching to me. I like making up my own opinions. But if I can hit you with a hard message and then make you laugh, you don't feel like you're being preached to. You feel like you've got a joke. So like I, I like to basically, my ideal way of storytelling is like keeping them on a, on a balance of like telling them something I really want you to know, but then making you laugh. So you don't feel like it's a lesson. It's like almost hiding the like the dog's medicine in a piece of hat. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so yeah. the dog don't think it's getting like antibiotics. It's getting some juicy ham. But you're like stupid dog. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm saying the audience is stupid, but I'm saying, I'm saying you know like I try to hide messages. Same in kids books, you hide it so people don't feel. And also in saying that, you know, some episodes of reality, I'm absolutely not hiding shit. I'm venting. So. But in all my other stuff I write, I write, do you know what I mean? I write plays, I write films, I, I do all sorts of shit. And that is the sweet spot when I get it right. Yeah. Um, I, I guess one of the things, I was talking to one of my boys the other day about, and so, similar to what we were saying at the start of this, about this year's just been heavy and like people mm. feel tired and people feel, I don't know, like there's just almost this collective heaviness in the world and in the atmosphere and in our community and stuff. Is it important at times like this in history for people to be able to, I guess, laugh at their own experiences? Yeah, I think, well, it's a, it's a, that's a really good question. Cause I was going to say, yeah, absolutely. But as somebody who uses laughing at my own experiences to basically undermine them at the same time for myself, undermine the importance of them. So like all my life, like when I tell these anecdotes about either people being racist or, problems I've had or I'll always make a joke at the end to make myself feel like oh it's not as bad if I can always joke about it it's not as bad I don't I mean I'll make terrible jokes to make myself sleep better at night do you know what I mean and I think there is a really good um there is something really positive and important about actually sometimes just saying it how it is like Mm. if something's terrible it's terrible and like I've had to learn this year specifically about just being like, no, no, I'm, I'm not happy. That was, that was terrible. Or actually what you've done to me was awful. I'm not going to make a joke about it or whatever. So I think, I think there's a balance, but then also at the same time, I think, you know, we're all on the spectrum. Like if you, if you naturally are the sort of person who just everything is terrible and those things, then boy, you need to tell some jokes. And if you are like me, where you tell everything as a joke, then to, to make yourself feel better, then I need to start being more honest with myself and being like, actually, that didn't make me happy. Why did you do that? Why have you done this? I feel like this. So I think it's a, I think it's a real balance. Wow, I just got all therapy on you lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's like, well, I've just, I've just been thinking a lot about laughter lately. Yeah. Um, I think what, like, for me, it's rooted in this idea that I think sometimes you're expected to laugh to make yeah. things comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, I don't know, because I'm, I'm in two minds because I'm like, yeah, I guess if I'm laughing about it, it's not as bad. But then yeah. also if I'm laughing about it and it is bad, like, what does that mean? You know, like, what, where am I? I don't know. I'm thinking out loud here, but like, what does it mean for how seriously I'm even taking my own situation? No, but this that is the thing. Sense. It's exactly that. That's, I mean, but it, like, one, also learning, like, so at the moment I'm writing a sitcom. And when I started writing this sitcom, I didn't... Like now I've started to understand sitcom. Sitcom is literally about pain. The funniest things in the world are when 
bad things happen to people and people react like it's it's like let's if you look at it in from the simplest way like when you're in school and someone is like catcalling a girl they're a dickhead and then suddenly they trip on their shoelace and drop down the stairs everyone is dying on the floor dying <laughs> they cannot believe it they think this is hilarious yeah. and that's because you know like something bad's happened for them you know they were catcalling someone and then karma came and got them quick and i can't remember where i'm going with this point so nathan are you saying then that like in in the purest sense comedy is about justice then it's like comedy the person comedy, yeah sorry no i was gonna say no comedy, no that yeah that was basically be, all i was gonna say no comedy can be about justice there's like oh, look comedy Listen, I mean, it's never you can never nail it to one thing, like because mm. I can find justice funny, but then I can also find injustice really funny. Do you know what I mean? And by that, I don't mean <laughs> I can find certain injustices funny. <laughs> yeah. I don't, but this is the problem why comedy is problematic is that the injustices I find funny, like I'm trying to think of an injustice I find funny, like like you know that that lady in the park who was calling the police. Oh yeah. um, Amy Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. My girl, I find it funny (laughs) that now they're making the Amy Cooper law in New York and you know, Oh no, that's it. That's a justice. She got, she got burnt. All right. I'm trying to think of what injustices I find funny. It will be to, but then some people (laughs) would say that's not an injustice. Some people would say that's an injustice to her that they they went either way. But to me, it's a justice. So anyway, long story short, I don't think there's a a steady and fast rule with it. Yeah. But comedy comes from pain in it. Like it comes from when painful things happen, they make Mm. us all laugh. I think so. Yeah. I don't know what I'm actually rattling on about, but it's like that's what I mean. I wanted to um, sort of ask a slightly different question now, sort of away from comedy and just about like acting and and mm. being um, a black male actor in the UK mm. um, as well. Because um, obviously we've seen like a lot of our own black British talents that have been sort of underappreciated here in the UK. Mm. They will go abroad um, to across the pond and and do bits. And, you know, they'll find a lot of success there, obviously, because over that side, you have Hollywood and that's its whole sort of huge, big machine in, in and of itself. Um, but also, I feel like our talent is more appreciated outside of the UK, or at least in the United States compared mm-hmm. to the UK. Um, I just wanted to ask, like, what was your own sort of personal experience of being a, a black British actor over here, especially like on a show like Benidorm as well. Um, but like, it doesn't have to be just about that, but like in general, like how do you feel your sort of trajectory has been shaped by your, your, your blackness? Yeah. I think, um, obviously that's a great question. And like, listen, it's true. There's an element of absolute truth with all of that. Like, look, it's just maths. Like if you look at all these black British, British actors going over there not only are they like going over there making steady careers they're hitting the highest heights mm. talking like their lives are completely changing um, mm. and they're becoming the biggest movie stars in the world so look it's a fact um, from my experience uh, I've had like a really interesting experience with it all like 
my two shows where I've been, my two sitcoms that I've, you know, was been in the most. One was Some Girls, so that was like, that was a mixed race family, you know, um, which obviously I've grown up in. So that was a great experience. Um, and Benidorm was an amazing, an amazing acting experience for me. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. Like acting wise and show wise, it was lit. Like they paid me loads of money. I lived in Spain for a long time and it was great. Like the industry as a whole, like, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, there's an, it, hopefully it's starting to get better but that's definitely part of the reason why I came into creating because I wanted more and I wanted more I wanted more control um over the roles I wanted to do that's why I'm writing movies I'm doing all sorts of shit so that I can tell those heights and yeah listen I'm definitely one of those young black actors who's, who's eyeing up LA and just waiting for the right time to go I want the right things to happen over here first um but yeah as a young black actor I mean fuck it does it's it's luckily and and also I'm not I'm not uh the most like traditional young black actor in the sense of like I didn't go drama school I didn't you know I'm not really like like, great with accents and I I, like there's like there's like a you know there's like a real circle of like right now young black British actors who are like the best in the world like you only have to watch i may destroy you to see uh, the yeah, best yeah. young black talent in the world yeah mm. so i'm not even i'm not even trying to be like yo that's me that's me i'm i'm very different i'm a bit of like a multi-hatter like i will do a bit of this do a bit of that i love acting yeah but, you know this industry I'm, I'm i want my own production company i want i want like my own film mm. studio i'm 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 on a mad thing. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I can't even like see myself fully just in one, but the two big acting experiences that I've had in some girls in Benidorm were just the best experiences, best cast, best crew, best, best everything, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was just asking as well, like, do you, do you feel like there's any sort of change on the horizon for our, our homegrown talents over here to sort of, to stay here and make a name for themselves over here because obviously you know you're talking about having your own production company your own Mm. studios so Mm. I guess that's that sort of fits in with your aspirations Mm. uh sorry say that question again because I was just "Mm," and I wasn't listening um so so my question was do you do you do you do you see a full change in um do you foresee a change in um the sort of uh prospects for young black actors and actresses over here to sort of mm. remain here in future rather than having to go abroad to, to find success yo i don't know we'll see that's all i can say because mm. yeah. i think there's no point me foreseeing anything until it's done in it so <laughs> let's wait and see like if they if yeah. it does it does if it doesn't i mean all i can suggest is like um you just try and create as much of what you want to see and be in and i'm not mm. saying all actors have to write because that's not the truth like some of the best actors are actors because that's all they do um but yeah. i mean like mm. if you're a black mm. writer listening to this or black director listening to this like yo just keep keep going with it and i think it all plays in like all the shows and tv projects and movies and all the things i'm doing all center around black characters i'm not doing mm-hmm. one project with a center white lead um yeah and that's just because that's what i'm trying to do so if, you know if more people you know 
do that then hopefully and then mm. we get commissioned um yeah yeah yeah, yeah there exactly will be, there will be a change but who knows isn't it follow 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 the check if the check is taking you to la go get it <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah get yeah. it how you live you know when you said um patrick says that all the time that's why i love um do you know when you said that you didn't go to drama school yeah, yeah? For me, so at the moment, for any, this is like public knowledge, I do DNI training, I do a lot of that stuff. And I've been working with like a specific drama school mm. on that. Um, and one of the things I've found in working with their staff, working with their students, is like it's prestigious, you know, like drama school, this mm. is the thing, like you, that's the way into the whole industry. You didn't do that. No. Um, what, what do you think is the difference, if there is one, in the roots into the world and roots into your industry oh. without going to drama school and, and i just think if you don't go to drama school i, I look and I, I i say this if you go to drama school you're still gonna have to hustle whatever this industry is about mm. hustling but if you don't go to drama school yo your hustle has to be like it has to be on even on a stronger tip like you have to mm. basically create your own school you have to and by that i mean like structure your time i mean go to all the workshops because when these guys are coming out of drama school, they've basically done three years, nine till nine, training mm. every day. So you are competing with people who have who have spent three years constantly pow, 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 do you know what I mean? And obviously it's nearly impossible. You can't self-fund. Well, maybe you can if you're balling, but if you're not, you know, you can't necessarily fund three years of that yourself. Right. But there's youth theatres, there's online online webinars there's i mean there's so much books there's flipping film yourself on a monologue like basically you have to uh you have to hustle up you have to network you have to go to like that soul film event if you're an actor go meet loads of directors who are casting their short films go holland universities and be like yo i'm the sick actor i know you're doing the national film school short films which sometimes win oscars and shit like can you hand my cv over like you have to like sadly you have to think above and beyond and actually do you know what it's not sadly because actually from my angle that has been the most exciting part of everything that i do has been you know on the i'm still on the come up by all means but i mean when before Mm. i had an agent before i had you know a, a team around me i hustled for everything i'm talking like i guessed people's emails i was like I only talked to this producer at the BBC and everyone was like, yeah, but this, this producer's like, you know, a big, big guy. Mm. Like he's not going to have time for you. So I guessed his email and he did, you know, and we met and he bought a show off of me. And then same with another guy, um, the guy who created Rasta Mouse. um, I had a a card, I did for a cartoon series and everyone was like, yeah, yeah. I don't know about this idea, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I guessed his email, met him and he bought the idea for me and, you know, seven years later, we're still working on this idea and I've been wow. paid the whole time. And, you know, so it's like whatever route you take, just be prepared to go above and beyond and think outside of the boxes that you're being told to stay within. So, you know, if there's a casting director who does Hollywood movies, think of a cool ass way for her to get your to get her attention. Don't Nothing creepy, though, but like... <laughs> Don't be creepy. Don't be turning up at like people's doors and shit. But I mean, like, <laughs> think of something cool. I don't know. Well, like, what we did when we were younger is that we, um, 
and I say this obviously that there's must there's definitely privilege to it so I'm not saying everyone can do it like this but um we made short films on like you know a gully thing of just like everyone like just come down we'll just and obviously you meet people who are all the same mm. sort of mindset and then we got the BFI to give us cinemas for free for an hour on like a Tuesday afternoon when no one's there and then we'd show the BFI that we'll pack out the cinema with 100 wow. 200 people on an afternoon um yeah. so the BFI were like raw like and the last one I did was the same they gave me the cinema they gave me for free would be worth I don't know I think it's like ten thousand pounds an hour or something stupid. Whoa. They gave it to me for free on a Wednesday at two o'clock. And at first, I was like, "Wednesday at two o'clock? Like, who the fuck do I know who's gonna be there?" <laughs> when I say it was packed out, um, we, you know, I, I, I went above and beyond. And I also remembered yeah. a lot of actors are unemployed on Wednesday at two, two o'clock. And if I offer them free booze and a, you know, cool <laughs> networking thing, we'll get it. We'll get it there. So long story short to your question it's just the hustle and enjoy it you know yeah so there's an element there of just being an entrepreneur with it all and you know like you've got to be more than I guess you've got to be more than like what you are more than like an actor more than a writer you've got to be all all the things to sort of also be your own PR person be your own marketing and And be audacious as well like that's my favorite word like just make sure that you think way bigger so like yeah, you might have done one short film, but mm. like, if you like, just think huge, just go mad with it. Like, think of the craziest, because our industry is that industry where like, one morning you wake up, you're unemployed, you have a stupid tax bill like I did, all these things. Next morning, your show's been greenlit, mm. or you've sold your first movie script, or bam, bam, bam. Basically, what you have to do is create the um, opportunities, I believe, as many opportunities as you can so that when they're out there in the universe just like floating about hopefully they will get you know nibbled up and if not then you just create more but you just I think you just have to be a bit audacious and a bit mental I'm a bit mental with it yeah I think that's amazing the sort of I guess your attitude of like I can do this if I just keep pushing and even if the doors are constantly closing around me there will be a door that opens and it may be that one door that just flicks everything and then everything suddenly shifts, you know? And yeah, shifts. and yeah, and I think, you know, like, no, like, you hear no every day, you know, and that's okay as well. And it's about just carrying on, refining, keep, yeah, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm, pro- I'm probably just repeating, but like, you just, just have almost shut a vision. It's like, this is what I'm going to do. It is going to be trill. Like I remember when I first met my girlfriend, I was like good 21. She lived in Stockwell. And I didn't have £2.50 for to get to Stockwell and back for, I don't know, a good three years of that relationship. And then I got the Benidorm job, which meant I had loads of money for what I thought was loads of money. Um, uh, and then I quickly learned that that's not a lot of money to everybody else, you know. So it's like your 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 it can all change, but you just have to keep in it, even when it's really peak. And like you're having to explain, there was a Valentine's Day where my first Valentine's Day with my girlfriend, I bought her a banana and a pear, and I I wrote on the pear, no, I wrote on the banana, I'm bananas for you, and I wrote. On the pear. <laughs> I wrote starting on the pair. Oh, and then I wrote on the pair saying, we make a good pair. And I put it in a one pound bag that I got from Lidl around the corner. And I was like, 
that's it. <laughs> that's all I had. That's literally all I had. I, and I'm talking, she could have even paid for it. I don't even know where I got that pair of banana. I was broke as shit. So I don't know. But it's just like, you've got to be economical. Like, go above and beyond. You know? Yeah. And I respect it so much, bro. Yeah, that's you, wild. And she's still with you. Right yeah, now. we've been together eight years. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing, man. I don't think I can run um, the same game now, though. <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm not at 29, bro. Yeah, I'm going to buy her a pineapple and come up with some wild ass. <laughs> uh, I, had, I had a question, actually, and not to keep kind of going back to the web series, but, yeah. um, you know, there's there's been examples of people that have created web series and kind of leverage that to actually get tv shows mm. um i'm thinking about like Issa Rae, for instance yeah you know she had the awkward black girl thing and then like, over time that became so big and she was able to use that um to get on on bigger platforms do you see that as like a like an actual trend or do you feel she's a bit of an anomaly and you know or do you see that as something that yeah actually more people that the web series route is something that can actually lead to bigger platforms and big opportunities yeah i think absolutely like creating a web series is a brilliant way to get onto bigger platforms like that's exactly what happened with me and my writing i created it partly as well to be like to show people i can write well ish um so what happened with reality was i did series one lots of people saw it and enjoyed it and then series two i just plowed a lot more money into it I thought how I can make these films better, you know. I just I wrote better. I got a, like a mini proper crew together. I just went ham on it, um, and then a production company saw it, and then we started developing an idea around reality as a web series, and then like that got knocked back a few times, which was disappointing. But then, you know, the production company really liked my writing. And paired me with Samson Ko to make a um a sky art short about um, a character he'd come up with called Malik and it was a paramedic. So I started co-writing the short with Samson, and the short was went on Sky. It did well, and then um, I wrote a pilot. Uh, they were like Nathan would like you to write a pilot. Samson's really busy during this time, so then I went and wrote my first half-hour pilot, and then Sky One went and greenlit the series um, yeah. earlier this year. So, but that all came from that company seeing the web series to now me write, co-writing a Sky One series, which I've co-created with wow. Samson. So do you know what I mean? Like it completely, and also I'm, I'm forgetting in between all of that, I use the web series as a calling card. So like anybody I'm going to meet, I send a couple episodes, my favorite episodes, and it's also a great teller. Like if I send you my Black Jesus episode, my episode about reparations and all these other things, and you don't really fuck with that, then I don't think we're going to get on that well. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. it ain't going to work. So when I say I would encourage everybody who wants to create stories to um, do web series, man. Hell yeah. Yeah. Nathan, how do you find people that are good to co-create with? Because I think, you know, a lot of the time, particularly in that industry, Sometimes the people who you might who might open the doors for you might also not be the people that you vibe that well to co-create with. Um, yeah, so I how mean, do you do it? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, like I've never co-create. Every time I collaborate with someone, it's just basically on like we've had a beer, we've spoken about mm-hmm. the world, we're on the same vibe. I've never co-created with anybody who 
I've never co-created with anyone intentionally thinking that they can open a door for me. Mm. I've only collaborated with people who I go, we have the same set of bit sensibility. We want to tell the same stories. We want to do those things. So I think if you're looking for a, a, someone to co-write with or co-produce with or whatever, don't be thinking, oh, they know that famous actor or I'll work with them because they know someone at BBC. Work with them because, you know, you work well together. It should be really organic. And then if that partnership works, you'll create great work. And great work cannot be denied. It's, mm. it's like, that is the greatest thing I love about our game. Like, if, listen, if I write a script, which is lit, like real lit, like I'm not talking like it's good. I'm talking like it's undeniable. Something will move forward. Like I, I can't promise it will get made because also our industry is wild, but you know, something will push me forward to the next step. And also like a no on a script might, I, I, I've kept scripts. I, I've had another idea, which the BBC picked up, they dropped, I was devastated. And then I, I commissioned a comic book artist called Spike to create it into a comic book. And then I've just sold that idea again. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, it's mm. always in play and you have to just, mm. basically when you're collaborating, you just have to remain as open as possible. And also, like, just collaborate with people you really fuck with on a friendship thing. Because when it gets mm. ugly, you need to know that you're a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Don't collaborate on like a, uh, like a, oh, you like, on like they're going to move you up anywhere. Because then I think yeah. you have an imbalance. You want mm. that collaboration to be real and honest, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think one one theme I'm getting a lot from this conversation is the whole thing around resilience because you you know you, you quite casually talk about oh yeah these guys rejected it these guys rejected it on like a very it, it sounds like cool this is just something I've got used to yeah. and I was thinking about like you know there's people in various walks of life in loads of different industries or people that are just trying to even get their foot into the door initially like how did you begin building up that resilience or would you say that's something you just kind of had naturally as a personality trait or you know is that something you kind of developed over time that's a, that's a really good question i don't know if i know the answer to it but like resilience um well i think obviously look i'm a dreamer in it so when i first met my girlfriend i was on like a miley cyrus thing i was like listen by the time i'm 25 i'm gonna be a millionaire and i'm gonna be in <laughs> doing my damn thing and i'm 29 i had to humble myself and move back to my parents house when i got my tax bill through which i paid fyi if hmrc are listening to this you have the money <laughs> <if you don't. laughs> and i'm back in the good times and i'm about to you know get my first property at the end of the year buy it which is great so you know um but resilience i think it essentially comes I think you just have to accept it's part of the process. Like at first it's going to hurt. Like when we were younger coming up, I was pitching shows all the time, um, getting rejected constantly and it hurt. And I was down in the dumps and I had no money. And I was like, but I never, I think you just almost have to like lock jaw onto the idea that this is it. You are going to do this. And it, as long as you know, this is what you're going to do. You're going to find a way. Whereas if in the corner of your mind, you're thinking, you know what? Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe it's going to be too difficult to be resilient. Cause you're, there's like, listen, if I wanted to make real good money, like that is like sustainable and 
all of those things, I would not be doing this shit. I would be yeah. doing something else that is just giving me a good 30, 40 K a year, keeping me nice and steady. But like, I don't mind the, the hustle of some years you earn 10,000, some years you earn 90,000. I don't mind that. That's great. Yeah. Like, that's lit. So basically resilience for me came from the idea that when I was 17, 18, I was about to leave school. I was just like, well, this is what I'm going to do. And I didn't, I didn't go to my place at university. I was just like, I'm just gonna try and make this shit work. And Bredgens will bust jokes at you. Like who, you know, I had a few homies who aren't in our industry and they're just like, Nathan can never buy a round of drinks, you know, like ever, ever buy a round of drinks. Like for years, I couldn't buy a round. I was like, I'll buy my drink. You lot can buy me a round. But I ain't buying you around, but you get, get a double and shots. You can mind your damn business. Sure, Whereas sure, now, sure. obviously, things have changed, but you basically just have to be set in your way and say, this is it. This is all I'm going to do. So you can say no to me as many times as you want, but I'm going to fire back with something else. I'm going to have something else. This is it, basically. Yeah. So on a Michael Jackson thing, this is it. <laughs> this is my answer. Wow. Wow. Um. We've got just a couple minutes left. So before I wrap up, is there any final questions from, from anyone? Yeah, I just want to ask Nathan, what's like your favourite, um, I don't know, it could be show, it could be play, it could be like any, you know, form of art that you're involved in. Like what's, what are your favourites? My favourites, I can only say, I'll tell you my, oh yeah, well, my, I can tell you my favourite film because it is hilarious and it's not really my favourite, but it is my favourite um soul plane have you seen soul plane yeah 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 definitely yeah. definitely that's a classic the dumbest <laughs> film classic. ever it's so dumb <laughs> it's probably very problematic now but i remember when i first watched it on pirate dvd i was just like this is it this is what i want to do i want to um i want to make people like howl with laughter it made me howl with laughter um so that's like my favorite film because it's it was like the jump off point but I think, like, favourite art at the moment, like, Insecure is the best. Um, Call My Agent yeah. on Netflix is the best. Um, and also, I read loads of comic books as well, like, Prodigy, anything by Mark Miller is the best. I don't know, like, I just, I don't know, music, I'm just a, I'm obsessed with everything, so I'm a bit, I'm a, I'm a dead guy to ask this question too. I can't give you <laughs> everything. Cool. On that note, I just want to say, Nathan, man, thank you so much oh, for coming for on today. Me. It's been like a really good conversation, you know, I and like it. I've I've personally enjoyed it. And before we wrap up, wrap up, is there anything that you want to shout out that you're currently doing? Anything that you want to promote? Anything that you want to just say to our listeners? Um, I mean, A, keep listening. This show's amazing. And, and then B, slide plug my book, Clean Up second one is out on the 23rd of july so um go by that please wicked where can people find you nathan uh just on twitter at nathan brian brian spelt weird b-r-y-o-n fantastic well on that just want to say thank you from all of us at over the bridge um hopefully you've had a good i don't know good insight into nathan and the world in which he lives and Hopefully you've even got some questions. We'd love it if you want to get in touch. Uh, email us at otbpodcastuk at gmail.com or it's just otbpodcastuk on all of the socials. By that, I mean two of them, Twitter and Instagram. Um, and we'd love to just hear from you. Get in touch, stay safe. And um, we'll, I guess we'll catch up soon. Bye.
，拜拜。